Hey there, it's me, Amy, and I'm so excited to be here today with this interview with Yafi Lavova of Baby Bloom Nutrition. In this episode today, we're going to be talking about how to get started cooking with kids, Yafi's favorite tools that she uses when cooking with kids, and listen, guys, she's a pro. She teaches classes in this, so I think she's going to have some really awesome tips for us. She's also going to talk about ways to make cooking with your kids fun and keeping your sanity intact in the process. I know that this is the tip that I need from today, so I'm going to be listening very carefully. And then finally, we're going to be talking a little bit about how to talk to your kids about nutrition. This is also something that I really struggle with, so I'm really interested to hear her perspective. Let's dive in. Hi there, I'm Amy. I'm a mom, a natural food chef, and the host of the Feel Good Family Food Podcast. Just like you, I have more to do in a day than could possibly get done, and kids who say their favorite foods are things like... Gummy bread. Pretzel, of course. Maggie. Ice cream, yum. On this podcast, I'm using my 10 years of professional food experience plus real-world nutrition to help real parents more easily feed their families healthy food more often. Stick with me for tips, tricks, and actionable steps to start feeling good about feeding your family. Yafi, I am so glad to have you here with me today. Thank you so much for being on the Feel Good Family Food Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's my pleasure. So I already know all the amazing things that you do and I follow you on Instagram and everything, but can you tell us a little bit about what your life looks like, what the work that you do is and what your family looks like and just, just give us a little rundown. Well, how much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> so, two minutes. I am. <laughs> I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I focus on perinatal mood disorder and early childhood nutrition. And um, I have twins who are six years old, and a surprise bonus round who's almost three, all boys. I am definitely a hashtag boy mom. And, same. same. <laughs> yeah, and and I love cooking with them when I. When I first started out as a dietitian, I was in clinical, which a lot of people, that's, that's where a lot of dietitians start. And after having a um, high-risk multiple pregnancy and uh, multiple gestation pregnancy, sure, I, I kind of freaked out about the, you know, the protein requirements. And then when they were born, we had, um, we had colic and fussiness. We had, we had food reactions. We had trouble breastfeeding. I had tongue tie and lip tie and all the stuff, you know, all the stuff. And because of that, um, I had, I had, um, perinatal mood disorder. I had postpartum depression and anxiety and all of that really forced a shift in my practice to go from clinical to helping women specifically trans like translate from single, well, married without kids anyway, into motherhood, because it's not easy. It's not easy being a mom and, we need as much help as we can get. So I took all of my struggles and combined that with my my education and my clinical expertise and just shifted in that direction to help other women. Awesome. I love that so much. I mean, being a mom is no joke. I say that often. Like it really is no joke. And I love the idea that you've taken your own experience combined with your education and found a way to really like channel that into helping other people. I often think that's like where this food stuff comes in for me is I used to be that like, oh my gosh, everything's going to be gourmet and I'm going to read all <laughs> the magazines and I'm going to make the most gourmet dinners and everything's going to go together. And parenthood really required me to shift and get super clear on my priorities so that I could nail those things and not worry about the rest of the noise, right? Right. Because you're a perfect parent until kids come along. 
<laughs> you know all of, you know everything that you're going to do. You have your plan. You know exactly how you're going to raise your kids, and then they become a reality. And we really just have to roll with the punches. We got to shift it. I'm still embarrassed about the things I said I was never going to do before I had kids. I was like, I'm not going to have a house full of toys. Like, come on, this is this is my house, and come on, like every I'm I can look out the door of my office. I can look in my office, and every single room has kids stuff everywhere. Oh, sure. I'm never going to have a minivan. <laughs> I haven't gotten that yet, but I don't have three kids. So I think, you know what? After twins, we, we had the right car and then, and then turned the seats around and we're like, well, we turned the seats and now they don't fit. <laughs> no one else can fit in here. I have to drive other people sometimes. Or my favorite from me was like, well, I'm going to have great eaters because I'm just going to feed them vegetables first. And they're not right. going to know about all that sweet stuff. Right, right. What could go wrong? Sugar is evil. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really not. It's really not. So here we are today. I feel like that's the perfect segue into talking about cooking with kids. So I definitely want to get to what I said we were going to get to, which is talking about how to get started. But let's start even broader than that. Like from a nutrition expert perspective, why should we even bother cooking with our kids? Like what is the importance of this practice? Well, the truth is that when you're trying to cook for your kids, um, I I do a whole program on on meal planning. So that's that's really where to start the meal planning so that you're not staring into the fridge at 5 p.m. with the kids hanging on your legs. Because the truth is that kids are going to hang on your legs wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason to start bringing them into meaningful activity in the kitchen. But the first step is to not be wondering what's for dinner when you should maybe be getting it on the table because everyone's hungry. So that's the first thing is to get that under control. And then the reason to bring your kids into the kitchen, it, it's fantastic for for so many different kinds of skills. It's fantastic for working on their fine and gross motor skills. It's great for sound exposure and and color and taste and flavor exposure. It's a gentle and creative way to introduce your kids to foods that they might not otherwise be interested in. If you put sliced bell peppers on the table, they might not find that interesting. But if you take them shopping and let them choose which color you're going to be buying and then and then show them how to cut it open and pull out the seeds and you talk about where it grows and then maybe you pull up a YouTube video of a hamster eating bell pepper and they slice it and then put it on the plate and then you put it on the table... That's an entirely different experience than this is good for you, eat it. Yes. I, I love the idea of the hamster eating a bell pepper. <laughs> My kids love bell peppers, but I feel like they would get a kick out of seeing an animal eat the thing that they're going to eat. Yeah. Or goldfish eating broccoli. That's another good one. Goldfish eating goldfish? Goldfish eating broccoli. Okay. Before you serve broccoli. Why not? It's fun. And that's why we cook with our kids because it's, it's fun bonding time. That's a springboard for conversation. And it's, you're, you're cutting on a cutting board in the kitchen with ideally the appropriate kind of stool that's going to keep them at a safe height um, and, and keep them safe. But it, it's not at the table. At the table, even if you follow Ellen Satter's division of responsibility to the T, the very fact that you're sitting at the table, that there is that hunger bug in their tummy telling them to eat, that's inherent pressure. So even if you're not cheerleading them, even if you're not saying take a bite, just the fact that you're sitting at the table can be overwhelming for some kids. And so when you start in the kitchen by helping them to chop something and to giving them that responsibility, you're away from the table 
and they are much more likely to take a bite of whatever it is because it's not expected. Yeah. I love that because also this says a lot about my in, my preferences as a mom. And I've said this on the podcast before. So folks who have listened won't be surprised. I don't love playing with my kids. Like I'm not a great <laughs> Lego mom or like, I don't really want to play with Play-Doh, but I do want to cook and dinner does need to be made. And so I love the dual purpose of like, okay, here we are. It's going to make dinner time easier, but it's also going to get dinner on the table. Even if the cucumbers are like, I should have taken a picture because my girl was cutting cucumbers for me the other day and they were wrecked. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't mind and he was the one who was going to eat them, right? And so right. this activity, like it was an activity to keep him busy. He was close by. He was going to hang on me anyways, to your point. Right. And now I have some cut up cucumbers that look like they've been bitten in half by a hamster. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's fine. You know what? And it's a, it's a great opportunity to help build their confidence mm-hmm. and the confidence that they get from spending that quality time with you and the confidence they get knowing that they put something on the table yeah. that helps them with their interpersonal relationships that helps them with, you know, if you have confidence, you're, you're going to do better on your homework. You're going to do better in skill building in a lot of different areas. So we as parents, our main job is to help our kids build confidence in a healthy way. And this is a great place to start. And as you mentioned, it's it's an activity and it's all about the smile, not about the bite. I like to say that a lot to parents. It's about the smile, not the bite. And even if you make it to the table and if they don't take a bite, it's still about the process of spending that quality time together. And you know what? You're in good company not wanting to play with your kids. I don't... I, I just... I'm not good at it. I don't have the patience for it because it's not productive. It's not productive to build a Lego structure. And of course, it's important for their development, but I have the worst time holding myself still to play with these kids. So when I bring them into the kitchen and we're feeling what chocolate chip cookie dough feels like when it squishes between your hands, um, that's really fun for me. And it's fun for them. And I have the patience for that because I know we're going to be making chocolate chip cookies and who doesn't love chocolate chip cookies? Right. And they have fun because they're like, mom's having fun also, yeah. right? And I know that that transfers a lot too. I don't know if you've seen that meme, but there's one that's like, I don't you hate when you've played with your kids for two hours and it's only been two minutes? Or <laughs> that's my life, but not in the kitchen. So now that we've convinced people that they should be cooking with their kids, what would be your recommendation for the best way to get started? Well, it depends how old your child is. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're pregnant, that's awesome. And you can start as early as like, I had my babies as soon as they could face out in the carrier, which is when they have good neck control. I I was making challah and that's, it's important for me to pass on our tradition. And I'd make challah and have, I have a picture of using baby feet to knead the challah. And of course that was not for guests. Of course. That kid was probably six months old at the time. Um, and that, that was only for our family and the feet were clean. Also important. Say, their feet but are probably cleaner than most of our hands, right? That is also true, especially at like six months. You know, they're not even walking yet. Um, but you can you can start with that. You can start when, when they're outward facing and you're just cooking in front of them and they want to poke something. And as they're able to stand, you can make a smoothie and have them take handfuls of spinach leaves and put it in the blender and then help them hit the button. And that's also great for sound exposure. Mm. And you're going to tell them, hey, this is a loud sound. It's going to start now. Maybe we'll start with our hands covering our ears. And and you just have fun with it. And if you're smiling, they're smiling. You're spending time together doing something that's, that's going to be productive and delicious. 
And that's where you can start. But my, my class, Toddler Test Kitchen, starts at age two. Although and in the home, you can start closer to 18 months with certain things like chopping, which people don't think about. And one of my favorite Toddler Test Kitchen recipes is spaghetti squash. You roast the spaghetti squash and give the kid a plastic fork and they can shred the squash mm. into noodles. And that's so much fun for them. Or take a spiralizer. I prefer the spiralizers where you push down because kids just, it, it works better with how kids hold their hands um, than the ones that push sideways. Okay. But I mean, the ones that push sideways are fine too. You just have to hold them a little bit more secure. So the ones that push down gravity works with it and it's easier for kids, but they can start doing that stuff closer to 18 months. And I mean, in my class, I'm dealing with 15 kids. So that's, that's different. We start at two, but we're chopping and we're peeling and we're rolling. Your kids are capable of so much more than you think. And as long as you set healthy boundaries around the activity, it's going to be a blast for everyone. And by healthy boundaries, I mean, it's an activity. Make sure that you've got enough time to do it. You don't want to be like, everyone's hungry. All right, let's make something together. No, if everyone's hungry, you're you're putting something on, on the table as quick as possible. But if dinner's at 5.30 and it's 4 o'clock, bring them into the kitchen and chop up some cucumbers or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I also have no, I have a rule, no, no breakfast help. Because breakfast is always a rush. It's just inherently a rush. So... Don't include the kids when you're rushing. I love it. So in our house, we do breakfast help on Sundays because yeah. my husband and I alternate who gets to work out in the morning on the weekend, <laughs> like our deal that we've made. So on Sunday morning, my husband goes for a run and I'll like make something complicated with the kids because it's seven in the morning and we have nowhere to be. So right. this and we made pumpkin pancakes that were super delicious. On the flip side, a mistake I made was I was developing a recipe, which won't be most of the people who are listening to this, for pumpkin muffins. I'm on a pumpkin kick right now. And I was like developing a recipe, like measuring, like weighing flour and all these things. And I was like, what was I thinking, including in this activity? Because they're over there like measuring willy-nilly, which is honestly what I do most of the time. But I can't even keep track of it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, mistake. And when you have time and are killing time is the right time. (laughs) <laughs> right. And so I have the opposite experience when I'm developing a recipe for my class. Sure. I want my kids to mess up. Like that I want them sense. involved so I can see what's going to happen at the class. Yes. Like, oh, we need a teaspoon of cumin. Okay. A tablespoon. All right. <laughs> Let's see how that tastes. Sue turns out. <laughs> <laughs> it's cumin. Whatever. <laughs> so funny. I love that. Um, so you're teaching to groups of 15 kids. So I am so excited to get your wisdom on what tools we should have. And I have some favorites that I'll share too. And just before I list them, I want to let everyone know, I will put these in the show notes along with links at cookingwithfullplate.com slash cook with kids with dashes between. So cookingwithfullplate.com slash cook with kids is where you'll find these. But if you're watching on video, Yanki's also going to show us some of, some of them because she grabbed them. So give us the rundown of like, what are the basic things to have on hand? And then, like I said, I'll share some of my favorite things too. Well, some of the basics you're going to have in your kitchen already. You're going to have measuring spoons and measuring cups, and you're going to have a cutting board. Um, I would like to say that you should have one of these safety stools. There are a lot of different ones. There's also an Ikea hack for the, the stool that you can use. And in my kitchen, we use uh, we use a folding chair. It is what it is, you know? Um, and you, yeah. Just a quick point on that. We did not have a safety stool with my first guy because I we had like one of those two-step stool things that you'd use yeah. in the house to change a light bulb. And 
there was only one of him. So I could set that up and like, make sure he was staying on with the second kid having the safety stool. And I will link to the one that we bought because it folds down, even though we never actually fold it down. It was a game changer because of course he wanted to be up there at the counter much earlier because his big brother was there. And so I feel like it's so much safer than precarious situation. So if you're going to do this a lot, maybe try it first, make sure you like cooking with your kids and then invest in the stool. It's true. And the thing is that the reason why you want a safety stool is because it gives that it gives that safety around their midsection, mm-hmm. which lets you get a little bit more hands off. Yeah. And the point when you're when you're making when you're cooking with your kids in order to help build their confidence, you want to be as hands-off as possible. You want to create the safest environment possible and let them do a lot of the work as much as is safe. Say yes whenever possible. And that safety stool helps you to say yes more often. So, yeah. so um, you're going to have a lot of things. So this, this is my toddler knife that I love. It's Curious Chef. I am not paid to endorse them. I just do it because I like their stuff. Um, it's made out of nylon. When you use spices like turmeric, it will stain. And that's, okay, so what? Um, it's got a wide handle. This is the smallest size. If you buy it on Amazon, and I can give you a link, um, it comes in a set of three. I think it's $9. Yeah. If you have a lettuce knife at home, you can use that. But if you go out and buy a lettuce knife, it's going to be more expensive than buying these toddler yeah. knives. We have these knives, and you guys, they're amazing because they do actually cut stuff like, you know, not winter squash, but I could cut <laughs> cucumbers and strawberries and bananas and um, they've even cut apples with them. It takes a lot of sawing. That's where you get that like chewed look that I was talking about. Yeah. With cucumbers. Um, but they're amazing because to your point about being hands off, like I have full confidence that they're not going to cut their finger off with it. Of course, I'm trying to teach them to keep their finger out of the way, but they have tested the limits of this knife and no one has gotten hurt yet. And that's saying something. Yeah. So yes to these knives and the three pack is where it's at. Cause you know, watermelon, you need the big one for, and Right. Yeah. And I I have had a kid make a very small cut, but the reason why we use these knives instead of plastic knives is because plastic knives are not sharp enough. And, and it's interesting to say like when you're cooking with your child, you want something sharper than a plastic knife. But the thing is that if it's not sharp enough, it can slip. And if it slips, it's more likely to cause injury than something that is, is a little bit sharper and isn't going to slip. So side note, did you know that that's also true for your knife, dear listener, like (laughs) the chef's knife that you haven't sharpened in five years, you're actually more likely to cut yourself with a dull knife than with a sharp knife because you're having to work harder and it's slipping and it gets your finger and all those things. So I love that point for everybody who's fine. Yes, that is a good point for everyone. Um, But but another reason we don't use plastic knives is because often they they break. Mm. And if you break, you're going to get those jagged edges that are also dangerous. So um, for a lot of reasons, I like these toddler nylon knives that are specifically made for toddler hands. And I like these crinkle cut knives. They're not actually made for toddlers, but I have great success in the class. And that's what you can use to not get that chewed up look when you have your cucumbers and it's going to make a nice crinkle cut pattern and it looks pretty. And the handle you can, well, I'm holding this up is, is wide. So it's very easy to fit in the palm of the hand. So you can also get these uh, very easily. They're all over the place. And I'm going to buy one. I love it. I'm not hurting myself pushing on it. Like I'm pushing it straight into my palm. It doesn't hurt, but it somehow also 
cuts effectively. Okay, cool. I love it. Yeah. And also, so this peeler, you probably have a peeler. I got this peeler from the dollar store and it's Betty Crocker brand. And it's pretty, it's got a really nice wide handle and it actually worked better than, than the one I had at home, which was a cheapo. So you don't need to spend a lot of money. You want, you want something that feels secure when you have a peeler and something that, that where the, the grip is wide enough for to feel secure in a toddler's hand. I peelers make me nervous because I've peeled my fingers before. So I don't let my kids use peelers, but you're making me think that maybe I just need to teach them and have like a nice wide handled one. What do you have kids peeling like carrots and yeah, carrots and cucumbers, um, it, whatever apples sometimes. Okay. Yeah. The thing with, um, I have a whole video on knife safety with kids. What you really want to focus on, just because I mentioned apples, I'm bringing this, looping back to this. Um, what you really want to focus on with knives is that you cut something in half, something that's round, you cut it in half so that it can sit flat on the board. You don't want to give, uh, for instance, a cucumber can roll around while you're trying to cut it. So it's better to cut it half lengthwise so that you can lay the flat part down and it's more stable. Yes. So that's, that's important as well. have been listening to me for a while. If you have a link to that video, I'll include it. But yeah. I, I, um, that's my main thing. It's like, you're going to cut an onion, you're going to cut a watermelon, you're going to cut a cucumber, you're even going to cut a carrot. The best thing you can do to cut faster, is forget whether you're a kid or an adult, is find a flat surface. Because mm-hmm. fighting the watermelon that's rolling away from you, and I use that because it's a good visual, is taking you longer. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And that's bringing on more frustration and the whole purpose, whether you're cooking with kids or you're cooking by yourself, uh, listening to this fabulous podcast is that you don't want it to be more frustrating. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we have, we have a crinkle cut, these cool knives, um, a peeler, Mm -hmm. anything else that you recommend people have on hand? You know, and then you just get into fun things that you probably have on hand and haven't used. You know, for instance, I'm holding up a lemon squeezer. How much fun, how much fun is it for kids to squeeze? They like to squeeze or a salad spinner, an egg slicer. These things are things that you have on hand and maybe you're not even using. I mean, I never use my salad spinner, but it's really fun for kids. Me neither. And my kids go crazy over the salad spinner. And it's actually really helpful because it's not a job I enjoy doing, but my five-year-old will suspend salad for legitimately 10 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> the driest salad you've ever had. And it does serve a purpose. Your dressing stays on better if you need just sure. But I, I just never take that step. And so like it's an actual helpful thing that you can get them to do. And so I love this idea of also using things you already have that are, yeah. and then of course there's like mixing when you have a dough and those kinds yes. of things. And um, one thing that I like to do is I have multiple measuring spoons and measuring cups because when we go to develop a pumpkin chocolate chip muffin recipe, there's stuff everywhere and everyone wants one. So as yeah. much as I try to keep my kitchen kind of focused, like I, I'm a little bit minimalist in my kitchen because I'm like, I want to use the space the best way possible. Those go a long way to keeping kids busy while you're doing other things. Yes. Yeah. And it's great. And when, and my, my twins are in first grade now, we can talk about math. We can talk about, um, we need a cup of flour. Okay. How many quarter cups of flour does it take to make a cup of flour? And we look at the numbers on the measuring cups and we look at the sizes and it's fun to do that. And that's, that's great for beginning math skills. And as you're, you're reading a recipe, you can, you can ask them, Hey, what does this word say? Do you know how to spell sugar? And that's a fun one because 
it's S, but it sounds like an SH. And it's just, a. it's sometimes when people have trouble sitting down doing homework with their kids, you can actually do the reading homework and the math homework while cooking with them. And it's much more entertaining and it's more real world. They're going to absorb that information better, much like your dry salad will absorb dressing better. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. That I love this math and reading in the kitchen tip too, because it's so true. I find myself when I'm doing something with my kids, I'm a lot more likely to engage in those conversations that further their knowledge that I think to talk about than when we're sitting down you know, trying to think of something to do. And I'm like, okay, you should teach him about letters and you should teach him about numbers. And these things lend themselves to it. It's natural. And you can talk about chemistry. You know, we're putting sugar in this recipe. Why are we using sugar? What function does sugar have in this recipe? And you can talk about how there are different reactions we need sugar in bread because the yeast needs to eat the sugar. And what does, oh, this was a fun one last time we made kala. What does the yeast put out when it's eating the sugar? Oh, it's putting out air. And of course, as first grade boys, we're talking about how yeast farts are very important (laughs) in the holla. (laughs) Oh my gosh, my five-year-old is going to love that because anything (laughs) that's fart or poop, of course, is like the most entertaining thing on earth. Well, use it to your advantage. (laughs) Totally. I love it. So this is a great segue into talking about ways to make it fun. Um, Are there other ways and also recipes that you utilize to make cooking more fun when you're working on it with your kids? Well, I always... The recipes are really specific to age because when kids are younger, they need that immediate gratification. You don't want to make chocolate chip cookies with an 18 month old, because the child does not understand that they need to go in the oven and then come out and then cool. So you want to start with a recipe that they can eat right away. You know, I mentioned the spaghetti squash recipe. So you have the spaghetti squash roasted and cooled ahead of time. They scrape out the noodles and you put on some kind of sauce or some, some seasoning on it and they can eat it right away. And you want to have ingredients that they can eat as you go, which is why Toddler Test Kitchen, the class, is always vegan friendly because as much as I like cracking eggs with my kids at home and we do use other products, you want to be sure that you're, that you're allowing them to safely eat, eat the food as you go. Yes. You know, and if you're going to eat raw cookie dough at home, um, I'm not going to say anything about it because that's just, that's just childhood, right? Yes. But when I'm teaching a class, I have to take the more conservative approach. A hundred percent. I think that's yeah. So I so I keep it vegan. vegan cookie dough. Like I will look for yeah. vegan cookie dough recipes, and I'll share a link to one I really like. It's not mine in the in those show notes I talked about because it's such a good one. It's just maple syrup and flour and those kinds of things, but it tastes really good even raw. And so mm-hmm. the kids love making it because of that immediate gratification. And I hadn't necessarily thought about it that way. So what about with yeah. your first graders? Like what kinds of recipes do you utilize with them? Do you have a favorite resource for kid-friendly recipes or you just take things and adapt them? I'm my favorite resource for kid-friendly recipes at this point. I've been teaching for more than three years and I've got like, I have this whole cache of recipes now, but what I look for in a recipe and I find them all over the place. Um, I, I look for recipes that have few ingredients, not not a ton. And that's, you know, not, not necessarily seasonings. If if something has five different spices in it, I'm cool with that, but you don't want to have an overwhelming countertop. You know, you said that you're minimalist and that's, that's great. When you're looking for these recipes to cook with your kids, you don't want it to be too involved because you want to be able to have fun with it. You want something that's forgiving. 
And the reason why I bring up the Southwestern spaghetti squash is because if, if it calls for a cup of corn and half of that gets eaten or it gets measured the wrong way and it's two cups of corn, okay, fine. It's not going to mess up the recipe. So I try to stay away from a lot of true baking because baking is very scientific and it has to be more exact. There are certain recipes that I do. I have my, my signature recipe, which is um, chocolate chip bloomies, which is a zucchini based muffin that uses pumpkin and carrot juice and dates. And, and that's pretty forgiving. So that one's fine. And the, um, my Popeye muffins that are also another signature recipe are just a blender muffin. So it's also a bit easy to not mess up, but yeah, but, but if I do like we had a peach cobbler that I did or a patriotic fruit tart, you know, you're not going to mess up a fruit tart. It's fruit. And when you're working with fruit, you should always look at the amount you need and double that because it's not all getting in the recipe. (laughs) So smart. Spoken like someone who's worked with a lot of kids. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. I feel like that leads into maybe the most important part that I want to hit on, which is I know that for so many parents, this can, cooking together can feel a little bit like an exercise in futility because it makes a huge mess and it doesn't turn out the way you expected. And I think you gave us some awesome tips for picking recipes that save your sanity. But I'm wondering if you have any mindset hacks that you use going in that we should like use to frame things. I think, you know, being intentional and framing things goes such a long way with so much in parenting. What should we keep in mind when we're getting into the kitchen with our kids to keep our sanity intact? Well, I think that much like any area of parenting, it's all about having appropriate expectations and making time for things. So, so as we mentioned, breakfast during the weekdays is way off limits because you can't deal with the mess and it's, it's got to be faster than that. Um, but if you have appropriate expectations as far as how long it's going to take and the kind of mess that you're going to make, then it's going to be easier to deal with. If you think you're going to make a pumpkin pie with your kids and there is not going to be pumpkin somehow on the ceiling and like on the back of your neck, um, and <laughs> then maybe maybe readjust your expectations because you know that's going to happen. But you also know that if you're like me and like you, um, that that it's going to be more fun to do this. Yeah. And it's, it's just... It's just going in thinking, how old is my child? How well can they follow directions? What kind of mess is the worst possible scenario with this recipe? And just get ready for that. Yes. Yeah. And I often find it's like a time payoff thing. Like the other night, um, my husband was working late. And so I, I, when we did the pumpkin muffins, I was literally just trying to kill time with two kids who weren't ready for dinner quite yet, but we needed to do something. And so I looked at the kitchen afterwards and of course it was a disaster. And I was like, all right, but I got like an hour, a solid hour of engaged time where brothers were not pummeling each other out of this. <laughs> and of course, all the benefits that we've already talked about. So I can wipe down the cabinets. Like that yeah. was a worthwhile in, um, investment for me. But certainly I wouldn't do it right after a housekeeper comes or something, right? Because you're just going to be disappointed. <laughs> yes. And this is why it's also very important to have dogs. <laughs> Yes. Because they help you clean up the mess. Oh man, my dog was, where was she? I think she was like with family because we'd been out of town and we fed the kids. And I was like, I had no idea how much of a mess they made until the dog wasn't here. (laughs) It's so true. She's, I should pay her more. (laughs) 
So one of the things that we talked about before we got started is that you were in your son's class, son's class, (laughs) (laughs) Um, talking about nutrition today to first graders. And this is not an area of expertise of mine. And I struggle with how much to share with my kids about food because I don't want to demonize anything. And I've come a long way from thinking that like sugar was so bad and my kids were never going to have it to like really focusing more on creating adventurous eaters who are comfortable with being around and maybe trying on a good day, almost anything. So Mm -hmm. I, I struggle with like, what do I want to say about food, especially because kids repeat everything and I don't want them telling another kid something that isn't serving their family. Right. So talk a little bit about what you shared and how we as parents can think about how much to share with our kids when about the food they eat. Right. So the first thing is that you have to keep everything completely positive Mm. and using black and white terms like good and bad, or even healthy and not healthy doesn't work for kids because they are black and white thinkers. And the truth is that if you say that cake is bad or cake is unhealthy, you know that you're going to be going to a birthday party at some point, and there's going to be cake at that birthday party. And you can be one of two parents, either you're the the parent who doesn't give their child cake or you're the parent who does give your child cake. And if you've told them that cake is bad, you're setting yourself up for failure either way because you're telling them that it's bad and it's unhealthy, but then you're giving them a slice, Mm -hmm. which means that you are bad. You are contradicting yourself. You don't know how to take care of yourself or your child because you're giving them something that you told them was unhealthy and bad for their body. Mm-hmm. They don't understand moderation. They don't understand context or celebration. They don't understand that things are good or things are bad with kids yeah. and things are healthy or things are not healthy. It's either going to make you live forever and be able to fly like Superman, or it's going to kill you immediately. This is, this is how kids think. And we need to go with that when we talk nutrition to them. So instead of using good, bad, or even healthy or not healthy, we just say you need to have a variety. I showed them this morning a picture of a tongue and we talked about how taste buds live in different neighborhoods and I called them taste buddies. And we took little, um, pop, we, we took little pipe cleaners and I made ticklers out of them. And I had two assistants at the front of the room and each child in the class said their favorite food. And we talked about which taste buddies help you enjoy that food. If it's sweet, if it's salty, if it's sour, if it's bitter, or if it's umami, which was, I made them say umami like 10 times because it was really so cute. cute. Yeah. But we talked about how, yeah, pizza came up a lot and pizza is umami and salty and someone like cupcakes. Well, cupcakes are sweet and you don't say that sweet is bad. You say that sweet is one of five flavors and it's important to try to have all five flavors every day. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because if you demonize something, then what happens is not only the birthday cake scenario, but you bring psychology into it. Our bodies are the fanciest calculators that we have. They can take into account how many calories you need in a day based on your genetics, based on your health, based on your activity, based on the weather and the hydration level in the air. They based on if you're having a growth spurt or not, or, you know, sometimes for us, um, what our hormones are doing in that moment, the body is the only thing that can calculate all of that at the same time and send you a signal. And that signal is your hunger. And the corresponding signal to that is your satiety your fullness, and then your satisfaction, which are not necessarily the same thing. 
So it's important to start kids off understanding what those signals are and that they're important. And when we say that things are bad or you should avoid it or you shouldn't have too much of it, all in those negative terms, it puts a forbidden fruit label on that food, which ultimately makes it more attractive. Yeah. We have all been there. I mean, most people have been on diets and you know what happens when you're restricting food. You can't stop thinking about it. We want to raise kids who can enjoy food without fixating on it. Yeah. And this is the way to do that is to just be positive. I put an Instagram um, post up recently about how we were having almond milk and there was, um, there's a sign on the almond milk container contains 30 calories. And so I went through different ages when the kids ask, what does that mean? So when you have a two-year-old pointing at the 30 calorie sign, what does that mean? You say, oh, that says 30. That's 10 more than 20. And you leave it at that. And when they're, when they're four or five years old, you say, wow, that's 30 calories. That's how much energy that food is going to give you. And you leave it at that. And as they get older, you give them a scientific example, scientific explanation, but you cater it to their level of understanding at that age. When you have a 16-year-old, you can say, oh, that's 30 calories. It's broken down into fat, protein, and carbohydrates. This is what fat does for your body. It helps your brain grow strong. It helps with mood regulation. It helps with hormone regulation. And protein helps your muscles grow strong. And it helps with um, intercellular communication. And, and, And carbohydrates give you energy. And so as they get older, you get deeper into the science of the question but you're always answering from a positive perspective. This is what it does for your body. This is how it benefits you. I feel like I love this idea of focusing on positives and benefits and also quelling our own emotions around food and our natural desire to go deeper than it needs to be. Like just that example of like, that says 30, that's 10 more than 20. It's like, as adults, we're thinking, oh no, now my kid is asking about calories when in fact they're just asking about something that they've seen in the world and we are applying our lens and viewpoint onto that. Right. Right. So that's really a lesson for me is to take out some of that emotion, but it does get tricky. You know, my son, like my son's school is trying to have less sugary snacks. And I know that it comes up and it has come up before where well-meaning people will say something. And I appreciate that. Like there's so much focus on eating healthfully now, but even healthy sometimes feels like an uncomfortable word for me to describe the work that I do. Cause I'm like, what does that even mean? Right. It means something different to each person because you have to take into account family dynamics and allergies and religion. I mean, is, is mango healthy? Most people would say yes, but it'll land me in the hospital. (laughs) And even your example of like, I know this is kind of full circle and then we'll talk about where people can find out more from you because I know they'll want to, but um, with this, like you called it perinatal nutrition, right? Um, Is like, also, where are you at? Like, what can you physically handle right now? And I shared an Instagram post the other day of a meal that was macaroni and cheese and it had some raw cauliflower and some apples. And I sometimes feel uncomfortable sharing that because I know there are people who look at that and are like, I thought that you feed your kids healthy food. I thought that's what you're about. And I would never feed my kids that. And that's cool. That's fine if people think that. But the truth is that when I am solo feeding my kids, sometimes that's the best I can do, right? And I think taking that into account or sometimes it's the best I want to do because I have other priorities. And I just don't want to demonize that. Like my kids enjoy it. I buy the best quality I can. And then I move on with my life. And I think that there's like a healthfulness to that 
too. And people yes. can have different measures of healthfulness, but it's just such a nuanced conversation. And it makes me think that often we try to bring that nuance into our conversations with kids. And yeah. I love your reminder that it really is black and white for them. And some of those examples of how we can keep it black and white in the scope of what kids can handle. Right. So here's the thing. If a child is refusing a, a particular food at a table, it could be because they don't like it. It could be because they're fearful of it for some reason, or it could be that last time that food was on the table, mommy and daddy had a fight. And so they're not interested in that food because there's an association there. We associate emotions with food. And as adults, we're often told that that's a bad thing, that we should get our emotions out of the food. But instead of doing that, instead of trying to suppress our emotions where food is related, we have to dive into it and examine it so we can move on with our lives. Sometimes there's a pizza night. Guess what? I take my kids out for pizza. Sometimes you have a busy day and you need a backup meal. And that backup meal is not nutritionally balanced in and of itself. But nutrition, especially where children are concerned, it's not, it's not nutrition by the meal or by the day even. It's over the course of a few days. So if you go out for pizza one night, fine. Okay, so the next day they're going to have some, some carrots and some hummus for a snack. I mean, it's, we, we have to take this pressure off of ourselves because just as you're saying it's a nuanced conversation, I can boil it down to this. We as society see health as nutrition. We see health as body. And that's very limited. It's a limited worldview. We need to see health as body, mind, and spirit. And we have to take steps to protect all of those in equal measure, not just focus on what's going in your mouth. Because if you put the healthiest meal on the table, but it came with a lot of yelling and screaming and crying, that is not healthier than pizza. Okay, Yafi. I'm going to have you back on because we clearly have more of a conversation about this. You are speaking my language because I do think that like, there's just so much more nuance and there's so much pressure we put on ourselves. So then there's like this other piece of like, okay, now I think it's this thing. And I, you know, it's not a zero sum game and we take such a micro perspective of things, especially here in the U S I think it's pretty unique that we try to micromanage every meal and micronutrient and all of these things, micronutrient, macronutrient, whatever it might be. Um, and it really is a bigger picture than that. So I know that people are going to want to hear more from you. So I'd love to have you back on. But in the meantime, if they're like hungry for more of what you're serving up here, so <laughs> um, tips for cooking with kids, nutrition, talk, where are the best places that they can find you? So if, if you're a Phoenix local or you want to fly in, hint, hint, um, <laughs> Uh, toddler test kitchen is, I try to do it twice a month and dates and registration are on my website, toddlertestkitchen.net. And you can find lots of videos. I've been doing my, my live weekly Facebook segment, naptime nutrition. Um, and you can find that on naptimenutrition.com, or you can just follow me on Facebook and look at my video archives. The website just directs right to my, my video archives on Facebook. And you don't have to be on Facebook to see those videos. You can just go to naptimenutrition.com and it'll pull it up even if you're not a member. Cool. And it sounds like that might become a podcast soon. Is that true? I am hoping. I, I am hoping to make that into a podcast because I recently got into listening to podcasts. Um, and I'm really focusing a lot more on my, my public speaking and my writing. So I'm the nutrition contributor for Nashim magazine, which is a Jewish magazine. And I go to schools and educate kids on nutrition. And I educate teachers on how to approach nutrition and how to handle nutrition questions. 
Um, and then I'm, I'm available for speaking engagements. Okay. Awesome. Well, it sounds like people can check all of that out at the places you listed. I'm going to include the links to that in the show notes, uh, cookingwithafullplate.com slash cookwithkids. Thank you so much for being on today. I really- Thank you for having me. And wisdom. It was lovely. It was, it was really nice to be on. Thank you for asking me. Thanks everyone. Take care. I'll talk to you next week. 